Welcome to Golden Gems with Dave Shaw and Bill Hansen. We review each week the career and personal life of one of the great unforgettable artists of the golden days of radio. So please join with us on a trip down memory lane as we take a look at today's artist. Then go to our website, www.goldengems.net, where we will also look at more of their career and play some of their most unforgettable great hits which we are unable to share on the podcast. We invite you to join us there also. But for now, sit back and relax as we talk about the life of today's unforgettable artist of the golden days of radio. Well, welcome once again to Golden Gems with Dave Sean Bill Hansen. Today we're featuring the great Count Basie, William James Count Basie, was born August 21st, 1904, and passed away on April 26, 1984, was an American jazz pianist, organist, bandleader, and composer. William Basie was born on August 21st, 1904, to Lillian and Harvey Lee Basie in Red Bank, New Jersey. His father worked as a coachman and caretaker for a wealthy judge. After automobiles replaced horses, His father became a groundskeeper and handyman for several wealthy families in the area. Both of his parents had some type of musical background. His father played the mellophone and his mother played the piano. In fact, she gave Basie his first piano lessons. She took in laundry and baked cakes for sale for a living. She paid 25 cents a lesson for Count Basie's piano instruction. The best student in school, Basie dreamed of a traveling life inspired by touring carnivals which came to town. He finished junior high school but spent much of his time at the Palace Theater in Red Bank where doing occasional chores gained him free admission to performances. He quickly learned to improvise music appropriate to the acts in the silent movies. Though a natural at the piano, Basie preferred drums. Discouraged by the obvious talents of Sonny Greer, who also lived in Red Bank and became Duke Ellington's drummer in 1919, Basie switched to piano exclusively at age 15. Greer and Basie played together in venues until Greer set out on his professional career. By then, Basie was playing with pickup groups for dances, resorts, and amateur shows including Harry Richardson's Kings of Syncopation. When not playing a gig, he hung out at the local pool hall with the other musicians, where he picked up on upcoming playdates and gossip. He got some jobs in Asbury Park at the Jersey Shore and played at the Hong Kong Inn until a better player took his place. Some of his early career, around 1920, Basie went to Harlem, a hotbed of jazz, where he lived down the block from the Alhambra Theater. Early after his arrival, he bumped into Sonny Greer, who was by then the drummer for the Washingtonians, Duke Ellington's early band. Soon, Basie met many of the Harlem musicians who were making the scene, including Willie the Lion Smith and James P. Johnson. Before he was 20 years old, he toured extensively on the Keith 
and toba vaudeville circuits as a solo pianist, accompanist, and music director for blues singers, dancers, and comedians. This provided an early training that was to prove significant in his later career. Back in Harlem in 1925, Basie gained his first steady job at Leroy's, a place known for its piano players and its cutting contests. The place catered to uptown celebrities, and typically the band winged every number without sheet music using head arrangements. He met Fats Waller, who was playing organ at the Lincoln Theater, accompanying silent movies, and Waller taught him how to play that instrument. Basie later played organ at the Eblon Theater in Kansas City. As he did with Duke Ellington, Willie the Lion Smith helped Basie out during the lean times by arranging gigs at house rent parties, introducing him to other leading musicians, and teaching him some piano technique. In 1928, Basie was in Tulsa and heard Walter Page and his famous Blue Devils, one of the first big bands which featured Jimmy Rushing on vocals. A few months later, he was invited to join the band, which played mostly in Texas and Oklahoma. It was at this time that he began to be known as Count Basie. The following year, in 1929, Basie became a pianist with the Benny Moten Band in Kansas City. Inspired by Moten's ambition to raise his band to the level of Duke Ellington's or Fletch Henderson's, where the Blue Devils were snappier and more bluesy, the Moton Band was more refined and respected, playing in the Kansas City stomp style. In addition to playing piano, Basie was co-arranger with Eddie Durham, who notated the music. Their Moton swing, which Basie claimed credit for, was widely acclaimed and was an invaluable contribution to the development of swing music. And at one performance at the Pearl Theater in Philadelphia in December 1932, the theater opened its doors to allow anybody who wanted to hear the band perform. During a stay in Chicago, Basie recorded with the band. He occasionally played forehand piano and dual pianos with Moton, who also conducted. The band improved with several personnel changes, including the addition of tenor saxophonist Ben Webster. When the band voted Moton out, Basie took over for several months, calling the group Count Basie and his Cherry Blossoms. When his own band folded, he rejoined Moton with a newly reorganized band. A year later, Basie joined Benny Moton's band and played with them until Moton's death in 1935 from a failed tonsillectomy. When Moton died, the band tried to stay together but couldn't make a go of it. Basie then formed his own nine-piece band, Barons of Rhythm, with many former Moton members, including Walter Page on bass, Freddie Green guitar, Joe Jones on drums, tenor saxophone, and Jimmy Rushing on vocals. In that city, in October 1936, the band had a recording session, which the producer John Hammond later described as the only perfect, completely perfect recording session I've ever had anything to do with. Hammond had heard Basie's band by radio and went to Kansas City to check them out. He invited them to record in performances, which were Lester Young's earliest recordings. Those four sides were released on Vocal, Vocalion Records under the band name of Joan Smith Incorporated. 
The sides were Shoeshine Boy, Evening, Boogie Woogie, and Lady Be Good. After Vocalion became a subsidiary of Columbia Records in 1938, Boogie Woogie was released in 1941 as part of a four-record compilation album entitled Boogie Woogie, Columbia Album C-44. When he made the Vocalion recordings, Basie had already signed with Decca Records, but did not have his first recording session with them till January 1937. By then, Basie's sound was characterized by a jumping beat and the contrapuntal accents of his own piano. His personnel around 1937 included Lester Young and Herschel Evans, tenor sax, Freddie Green, guitar, Joe Jones, drums, Walter Page, bass, Earl Warren, alto sax, Buck Clayton and Harry Edison, trumpet, Benny Morton and Dickie Wells, trombone. Lester Young, known as Perez at By the Band, came up with the nicknames for all the other band members. He called Basie Holy Man. Holy Main, and just plain Holy. When Basie took his orchestra to New York in 1937, they made the Woodside Hotel in Harlem their base. They often rehearsed in its basement. Soon they were booked at the Roseland Ballroom for the Christmas show. Basie recalled a review which said something like, We caught the great Count Basie band, which is supposed to be so hot, he was going to come in here and set the Roseland on fire. Well, the Roseland is still standing. Compared to the reigning band of Fletcher Henderson, Basie's band lacked polish and presentation. Hammond introduced Basie to Billy Holiday, whom he invited to sing with the band. Holiday did not record with Basie, as she had her own record contract and preferred working with small combos. The band's first appearance at the Apollo Theater followed, with a vocalist Holiday and Jimmy Rushing getting the most attention. Durham returned to help with arranging and composing, but for the most part, the orchestra worked out its numbers in rehearsal, with Basie guiding the proceedings. There were often no musical notations made. Once the musicians found what they liked, they usually were able to repeat it using their head arrangements and collective memory. Next, Basie played at the Savoy, which was noted more for Lindy hopping, while the Roseland was a place for foxtrots and congas. In early 1938, the Savoy was the meeting ground for the Battle of the Bands with Chick Webb's group. Basie, Billy Holiday, and Webb countered with the singer Ella Fitzgerald. As Metrono magazine proclaimed, Basie's brilliant band conquers chicks, the article described that evening. Throughout the fight, which never let down in its intensity during the whole fray, Chick took the aggressive, with the Count playing along easily, and on the whole more musically scientifically. Undismayed by Chick's forceful drum beating, which sent the audience into shouts of encouragement and appreciation, and casual beads of perspiration to drop from Chick's brow onto the brass cymbals, the Count maintained an attitude of poise, and self-assurance. He constantly parried Chick's thundering haymakers with tantalizing runs and arpeggios, which teased more and more force from his adversary. The publicity over the big band battle, before and after, gave the Basie band a boost and wider recognition. Soon after, Benny Goodman recorded their signature 
one o'clock jump with his band. Next, Basie played at the Savoy. On February 19, 1940, Count Basie and his orchestra opened a four-week engagement at Southland in Boston, and they broadcast over the radio on 20th of February. The war years caused a lot of member turnover, and the band worked many play dates with lower pay. Dance hall bookings were down sharply as swing began to fade. The effects of the musician strike of 1942 through 44 and 1948 began to be felt, and the public's taste grew for singers. Count Basie was the featured artist at the first Cavalcade of Jazz concert held at Wrigley Field on September 23, 1945, which was produced by Leon Heflin. Al Jarvis was the MC, and other artists appeared on stage were Joe Liggins and his Honey Drippers, the Peters Sisters, Slim and Bam, Vidalia Snow, and Big Joe Turner. They played to a crowd of 15,000. Count Basie and his orchestra played at the 10th Cavalcade of Jazz Concert, also at Wrigley Field, on June 20, 1954. He played along with the Flares, Christine Kittrell, Lamplighters, Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five, Ruth Brown, Perez Prado, and his orchestra. The big band era appeared to have ended after the war, and Basie disbanded the group. For a while, he performed in combos, sometimes stretched to an orchestra. In 1950, he headlined the Universal International short film Sugar Chili, Robinson, Billy Holiday, Count Basie, and his sextet. He reformed his group as a 16-piece orchestra in 1952. This group was eventually called the New Testament Band. Basie credited Billy Eckstein, a top male vocalist of the time, for prompting his return to big band. He said that Norman Grants got them into the Birdland Club and promoted the new band through recordings on the Mercury, Clef, and Verve labels. The jukebox era had begun, and Basie shared the exposure along with early rock and roll and rhythm and blues artists. Basie's new band was more of an ensemble group, with fewer solo turns and relying less on head and more on written arrangements. In 1957, Basie released the live album Count Basie at Newport. April in Paris arrangement by Wild Bill Davis was a best-selling instrumental and the title song for the hit album. The Basie band made two tours in the British Isles, and on the second, they put on a command performance for Queen Elizabeth II, along with Judy Garland, Vera Lynn, and Mario Lanza. He was a guest on ABC's The Entertainers. In 1959, Basie's band recorded a greatest hits double album, The Count Basie Story, Frank Foster Arranger, and Basie Eckstein Incorporated an album featuring Billy Eckstein, Quincy Jones as a ranger, and the Count Basie Orchestra. It was released by Roulette Records, then later reissued by Capitol Records. Later that year, Basie appeared on a television special with Fred Astaire, featuring a dance solo to Sweet Georgia Brown, followed in January 1961 by Basie performing at one of the five John F. Kennedy inaugural balls. That summer, Basie and Duke Ellington 
combined forces for the recording first time. The Count Meets the Duke, each providing four numbers from their playbooks. During the balance of the 1960s, the band kept busy with tours, recordings, television appearances, festivals, Las Vegas shows, and travel abroad, including cruises. Sometime around 1964, Basie adopted his trademark yachting cap. Basie hitched his star to some of the most famous vocalists of the 1950s and 60s, which helped keep the big band sound alive and added greatly to his recording catalog. Jimmy Rushing sang with Basie in the late 30s. Joe Williams toured with the band and was featured on the 57 album One O'Clock Jump and 56's Count Basie Swings, Joe Williams Sings. With Every Day I Have the Blues, becoming a huge hit. With Billy Eckstein on the album, Basie Eckstein Incorporated, in 1959, Ella Fitzgerald made some memorable recordings with Basie, including the 1963 album, Ella and Basie. With the New Testament Basie Band in full swing, and arrangements written by youthful Quincy Jones, this album proved a swinging respite from her songbook recordings and constant touring that she did during this period. She even toured with the Basie Orchestra in the mid-70s, and Fitzgerald and Basie also met on the 1979 album A Classy Pair, Digital 3, at Montreux, and A Perfect Match. The last two also recorded live at Montreux. In addition to Quincy Jones, Basie was using arrangers such as Benny Carter, Neil Hefty, and Sammy Nastico. Frank Sinatra recorded for the first time with Basie in 1962's Sinatra Basie and for a second studio album on 1964's It Might As Well Be Swing, which was arranged by Quincy Jones. Jones also arranged and conducted 1966's live Sinatra at the Sands, which featured Sinatra with Count Basie and his orchestra at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. In May 1970, Sinatra performed in London's Royal Festival Hall with the Basie Orchestra in a charity benefit for the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. Sinatra later said of this concert, I have a funny feeling that those two nights could have been my finest hour. Really, it went so well. It was so thrilling and exciting. Basie also recorded with Tony Bennett in the late 1950s. Their albums together included In Person and Strike Up the Band. Basie also toured with Bennett, including a date at Carnegie Hall. Other notable recordings were with Sammy Davis Jr., Bing Crosby, and Sarah Vaughan. One of Basie's biggest regrets was never recording with Louis Armstrong, though they shared the same bill several times. In 1968, Basie and his band recorded an album with Jackie Wilson, titled Manufacturers of Soul. A little about his personal life, Basie was a member of Omega Phi fraternity. On July 21, 1930, Basie married Vivian Lee Wynn in Kansas City, Missouri. They were divorced sometime before 1935. Sometime on or before 1935, the now single Basie returned to New York City, renting a house at 111 West 138th Street, Manhattan, as evidenced by the 1940 census. 
He married Catherine Morgan on July 13, 1940, in the King County Courthouse in Seattle, Washington. In 1942, they moved to Queens. Their only child, Diane, was born February 6, 1944. She was born with cerebral palsy, and the doctors claimed she would never walk. The couple kept her and cared deeply for her. And especially through her mother's tutelage, Diane learned not only to walk, but to swim. The Basies bought a home in the New Whites' only neighborhood of Adeslai Park in 1946 on Adelaide Road and 175th Street, St. Albans, Queens. On April 11, 1983, Catherine Basie died of heart disease at the couple's home in Freeport, Grand Bahama Island. She was 67 years old. Count Basie died of pancreatic cancer in Hollywood, Florida on April 26, 1984 at the age of 79. Count Basie introduced several generations of listeners to the big band sound and left an influential catalog. Basie is remembered by many who worked for him as being considerate of musicians and their opinions, modest, relaxed, fun-loving, dryly witty, and always enthusiastic about his music. In his autobiography, he wrote, I think the band can really swing when it swings easy, when it can just play along like you are cutting butter. He received numerous well-deserved honors. In Red Bank, New Jersey, the Count Basie Theater, a property on Montmouth Street, redeveloped for live performances, and Count Basie Field were named in his honor. Received an honorary doctorate from Berkeley College of Music, in 1974. Mechanic Street, where he grew up with his family, has the honorary title of Count Basie Way. In 2019, Basie was inducted in the Blues Hall of Fame. In 1958, Basie became the first African American to win a Grammy Award and went on to receive nine Grammy Awards throughout his career. By 2011, four recordings of Count Basie had been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, a special Grammy Award established in 1973 to honor recordings that are at least 25 years old and that have qualitative or historical significance. On May 23, 1985, William Count Basie was presented posthumously with the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Ronald Reagan. The award was received by his son, Aaron Woodward. On September 11, 1996, the U.S. Post Office issued a Count Basie 32 cents postage stamp. Basie is a part of the Big Band Leaders issue, which is in turn part of the Legends of American Music series. In 2009, Basie was inducted into the New Jersey Hall of Fame. In May 2019, Basie was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame at a ceremony in Memphis, Tennessee, presented by the Blues Foundation. A remarkable life and a remarkable artist. Right here on Golden Gems, this has been Dave and Bill thanking you for joining us. And don't forget to join us on goldengems.net and listen to some of Count Basie's great music and some more narrative on his wonderful life. (music) 
thanks for being with us today. We hope you're having as much enjoyment as we are reliving some of the unforgettable memories from the golden days of radio. To learn more about the career of today's artist and listen to several of their greatest hits, we invite you to go to our website, www.goldengems.net. May we also encourage you to tell your friends about the show. We would love to have them join us in these little trips down memory lane. And as always, we invite your feedback or comments on goldengemsradio at gmail.com. So until next episode, this is Dave and Bill heading back into the archives to dust off some more unforgettable memories to share with you on Golden Gems.